Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today we present the second in a four-part series featuring special guest appearances by our mysterious patrons. Our guest today is Kelly. Hello. Kelly is a generous supporter of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, and as a thank you, we invited her to join us for a discussion of an episode of her choosing. So, Kelly, what are we going to listen to today? The Nightman from Suspense. In 1940, the CBS audition series Forecast presented a radio adaptation of Marie Bellic Lowndes' The Lodger. Ostensibly directed by Alfred Hitchcock, although many old-time radio nerds, your hosts included, believe Mr. Hitchcock's name was used for marketing purposes only. Regardless, listeners responded positively to the production, and CBS used The Lodger as the template for a new series called Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills premiered June 16, 1942, with an adaptation of John Dixon Carr's famous locked room mystery, The Burning Court. Carr adapted the novel himself and provided all but one of the scripts for the program's debut season. The exception was Episode 4, The Hitchhiker, by the one and only Lucille Fletcher. In 1943, the network commissioned Fletcher to write two more plays for suspense, The Diary of Sofrina Winters and Sorry, Wrong Number, both of which starred Mercury Theatre alum Agnes Moorhead. The latter became a runaway hit, inspiring a film adaptation by Barbara Stanwyck and forever cementing Fletcher's reputation as a writer of edge-of-your-seat thrillers. Today's play, The Nightman, was Fletcher's sixth script for suspense. It was produced three times during the program's 20-year run. In 1944, 1959, and 1960. In 1953, The Nightman was expanded into a novel by Albert Ullman, who also novelized Fletcher's Sorry Wrong Number. According to a 1992 L.A. Times article, producer Hal B. Wallace bought the screenwriter to The Nightman in 1947 and asked Fletcher to adapt it. After submitting several drafts, the project stalled and Fletcher moved on. Over the next 10 years, Wallace assigned the script to other writers, including a 1957 draft by Oscar winner James Poe, who ironically began his career writing scripts for radio, including Suspense. In 1981, John Wells, a graduate student at the University of Southern California, discovered the unproduced James Poe draft of The Nightman in the film school's archives. Wells smelled a hit and acquired the rights from a retired Hal B. Wallace. After several more drafts and a decade of unsuccessful studio pitches, Wells cut a deal with NBC to turn The Nightman into a steamy made-for-TV movie starring the mom from Growing Pains, Joanna Kearns. Needless to say... It was not a hit. Entertainment Weekly gave it a D-plus and called it overcooked tripe. Do your best not to think about that as we listen to Lucille Fletcher's original well-cooked version of The Nightman, starring Virginia Bruce and Richard Worf. First broadcast October 26th, 1944. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. 
Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Now, Roma Wines present. Suspense. Tonight, The Nightman, starring Virginia Bruce and Richard Waugh. Suspense, presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness in entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you... Suspense! This is the Man in Black, here for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, who tonight bring you as stars Miss Virginia Bruce and Mr. Richard Wolfe. They appear in The Nightman, a new study in terror by Lucille Fletcher. It is a story of dark midnights and of a woman to whom the familiar face and voice of murder return for vengeance. But before we raise the curtain on our suspense play... Here is a message from Roma Wines. In many foreign countries where discerning tastes have found Roma Wines, they are an inexpensive luxury imported and treasured. For Roma Wines are in every sense fine wines from the choicest vineyard country of California. They are products of age-old winemaking skill aided by modern quality controls and tests that assure unvarying excellence of taste and character. Yet... Roma wines cost you mere pennies a glassful. Such enjoyable flavor and constant quality, such low cost, such high wine value, have made Roma by far America's largest selling wines, enjoyed by millions with meals when entertaining any time. Try Roma wine yourself. Tomorrow at dinner, no matter what you are serving, Place on the table a cool bottle of ruby red hearty Roma California Burgundy. See how much new zest it adds to food. How it makes a real occasion of even the simplest meal. To enjoy this extra mealtime pleasure, just ask your dealer for R-O-M-A, Roma Wine. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now with the performances of Virginia Bruce as Stella Rhodes, and of Richard Worf as the Nightman. We again hope to keep you in suspense. Gordon Graves. Yes, Miss Rhodes. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. I hate to disturb you like this, but I've traveled clear across the country. They wouldn't give me the information over the phone. I know. You know what this visit is all about, Warden. To some extent, yes. You think one of our prisoners, Tom Nixon, has escaped. He has escaped. I'm as sure of it as, as I'm sure of sitting here now. I saw him at large in New York City two days ago. You knew Tom Nixon well, Miss Rhodes? Knew him? Well, he was my mother's murderer. My mother was Mrs. George Rhodes of Huntington, Long Island. 
She ran a boarding house there. He killed her on September 18th, 1932. We have all the records of the crime, Miss Rhodes. Tom was Mother's chief boarder for ten years. <sighs> know him. Why, I sat opposite him at dinner table from the time I was a girl of 15. I knew him as well as I knew Mother. I'd, I'd know him anyway. I see. And now he's at large. He's free. He's escaped this place. Maybe you're not aware of it. Maybe even his fellow prisoners aren't aware of it. But he's wormed his way out. And he's after me. He's after oh, me. Oh, now, my dear young lady. Warden Graves. Ten years ago, when Mother was found murdered, I knew it couldn't have been anyone but Tom. I testified against him. I was practically the only witness at the trial. And when they sentenced him here for life, he swore to kill me. He swore in the open court to get even with me. For ten years, I've lived in deadly fear. I've watched the newspapers for prison breaks. I've moved from house to house, made few friends. He's hung over me like a shadow. Even though I told myself he was locked up here, locked up here forever. And now it, it's come. And where exactly did you see the prisoner, Miss Rose? That's just the point. That's why I know he's after me. I saw him in my own apartment house. Well. He has a job there, running the elevator at night. That's what makes it so horrible. I've never married Warden Graves. I live all alone in a small three-room penthouse on the 18th floor of an office building. The other night, about a week ago, I came home alone from the movies after midnight. The big marble lobby of my building was deserted, except in a far corner near the elevator with his back toward me, there was a man down on his hands and knees, scrubbing the floor. Good evening. Evening. everybody. Isn't the elevator working tonight? You want to go up in the elevator, Mum? Certainly. I'll be right with you. Okay, Mum. What floor? I was in the elevator, and he had started to ascend before I really saw him. It was Tom. His hair had turned white, and there was a horrible stoop to his shoulders. But everything about him, the crook of his head, his high, thin, bony nose, the hollow cheekbones were all the same. And then he turned and stared at me. I could see those deadly, pale, cold eyes. Those heavy eyebrows, still black. That familiar, quiet, sarcastic mouth. What floor, Mum? Oh, uh, uh, my floor. Uh, yes, the penthouse, please. Penthouse? Where's that, on the roof? Yes, on the roof, please. 18th floor. Okay. Warden Graves. It was like being in a cage with a wild beast. He kept watching me, peering at me furtively as the elevator moved with agonizing slowness up and up past the floors. I shrunk back, averting my face. The light in the car was dim. My only hope was that he did not recognize me. Here's your floor, miss. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. You can go back down. I, I don't need anything, thank you. What's the matter? Forgotten your door key? No. No, it's just... It's right in my bag. I'll find it in a minute. You want me to let you in? Let me in? No. No, good Lord. I got pass keys to all the doors. It's no trouble. No, thanks, but I... 
No, 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 I, I have it right here. Good night. And uh, that was the first time you saw him? Yes. Oh, I wanted to die. I didn't know where to turn. And that was all he did or said? Yes, but it wasn't so much what he said as the awful resemblance. The feeling that he was only playing with me, torturing me like a cat with a mouse. Warden Graves, I didn't even have a phone. I've always been afraid to be listed in the phone book. And the only way up to that penthouse was by that one elevator. I was trapped up there, at his mercy whenever he wanted to come. What did you do? I spent the night crouched against the wall with a flat iron in my hand, waiting for that key to click in my lock. And uh, the next morning? The next day, I began to wonder if it all wasn't just a dream. Good morning, Miss Rhodes. Good morning, Gallagher. Lovely weather we've been having. Lovely, dry and brisk, but not too brisk. Not overcoat weather yet. No, not overcoat weather yet. I was only saying to Foley this morning. Gallagher. Uh, yes, Miss Rhodes, yes. Who's that new nightman running the elevator? The one who came on last night? Oh, Foley? You mean Foley, Miss Rose? Why, that's Charlie Foley. Nice old chap, is he? Very friendly and obliging to treating me to coffee this morning before I came on. Charlie Foley? Yep, that's his name. They're very partial to the Irish here in this building. Gallagher, Foley. Ah, but he's a nice, trustworthy chap, Miss Rose. Honest, too. Good morning, Miss Rose. Good morning. Forget something, Miss Rose? No, no. Uh, just about this Mr. Foley. It's, it's just that he's rather uh, odd-looking. I was wondering where he came from and if he's perfectly all right. <laughs> all right? Let me tell you something. He was personally recommended by Ellsworth, Hitchcock, Pearson and Scott, the owners of the place. And that's the first time that's ever happened in my experience. Don't you worry about him, Miss Rhodes. He's a good man, member of our union, and married with two children. Believe me, with the owners recommend a man. Well, it all sounds like a foolproof alibi, Miss Rhodes. And so you went back? Well, I didn't want to, even then. I spent the day hunting for another apartment. But you know wartime New York, Warden Graves. There wasn't another apartment to be had. I let myself be convinced until that night when I saw him again. Good evening, Miss Rhodes. He called me Miss Rhodes. And now there was a cruel, sarcastic smile about his lips kind of smile I'd seen him give to Mama. You think he recognized you then? Recognized me? Warden Graves, I haven't changed. Perhaps I've grown a little thinner. Don't you see he'd come there only to trap me? He'd taken that particular job, plotted, schemed. Here's your floor, Miss Rhodes. It was only a question of when. When he was going to do it. When the axe was going to fall. He kept grinning at me as I stepped out of the elevator. Good night, Miss Rhodes. Good, good night. Who, who is it? Who's there? 
Excuse me, Miss Rhodes. There wasn't any answer to my ring. What do you want? What are you doing here? It's your laundry. They told me to put it inside the door in case you weren't home. My laundry? Oh, but you knew I was home. You just brought me up. That's right. Excuse me, I... I guess I must have been thinking of something else. Yes. I'm sorry, Miss Rhodes. Very sorry. That's all right. Good night. It was a crazy mistake. There I was thinking you could get up here some other way. But there isn't any other way, is there? No. Even the service elevator doesn't get up this far, does it? No. It's just like you're all alone here. Alone. On the roof. Yes. Tom, if you come any closer, I'll kill you to hear. I'll kill you with my bear. What was that, Mum? Get out! Get out! Get out! It's my buzzer. I better answer it. And then what happened? Nothing. He came back again that night? No. I haven't seen him since. I barricaded myself in that night. Once it, it, it occurred to me that I might escape by running down 18 flights of fire stairs. But the thought of meeting him back in the gloomy darkness kept me back. And I didn't know where the fire stairs ended. Perhaps in the cellar, where I would be utterly defenseless. It's too bad you don't have a telephone. Oh, it's horrible. The next morning, I got down to the public phone and put through the call to here. But it wasn't any use. That was the day I was out of town. Yes, but... Warden, I still don't see why they couldn't have told me. After all, I was giving them information. It's one of our strictest regulations at Osawapotomy State Penitentiary never to discuss any of our prisoners over the telephone. That's what they said. So you came all the way out here in person? Yes. And now you wish me to send someone to apprehend this man? I want you to bring him back, that's all. Back where he belongs. Miss Rhodes, Tom Nixon doesn't need to be brought back. He's here. Oh, no, Warden Graves. Please, I I've seen him with my own eyes. Talk to him face to face. Maybe there's someone here calling himself Tom Nixon. But he's escaped. He's free. I know it. Will you just step this way with me, Miss Rose? No, no, I, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see his cell or, or talk to anybody. Or... Tom Nixon's dead, Miss Rhodes. He's buried in the prison yard. I'd like you to see his grave. <laughs> And this is the photograph taken of him just a week before he died. You see, he wasted away quite a bit. He was in the infirmary all last year. Became very religious, too, toward the end. Spent a good deal of his time praying. Praying? Mm-hmm. All the fights seemed to go out of him as soon as he knew he was seriously ill. But uh, you'd say this was his picture, wouldn't you, Miss Rhodes? Yes. It's Tom, all right. Mm-hmm. And these little personal belongings... Ordinarily, we turn these over to the family, but in Tom's case, there, there wasn't uh, uh, much family. You'd uh, recognize these as his? Yes. I don't know them all, but... That gold watch, he used to wear it every Sunday at Mama's. He wrote a couple of notes before he died to a fellow prisoner and to the prison chaplain. You remember this handwriting? Yes. This seems to be it. <clears throat> Well, Miss Rhodes, now you feel a little better about your elevator operator? Hmm? You must think me a fool. No. An awful a, fool. Not at all, not at all. But the likeness was so extraordinary. It was almost like seeing a ghost. A ghost? 
<laughs> come, come, Miss Rose. Snap out of it. Now that you've gotten all this off your chest, isn't it perfectly obvious that that poor nightman's done nothing or said nothing to you at all out of the ordinary? It's only that, uh, well, you seem to be the victim of some kind of uh, guilt complex. Guilt complex? Oh, I'm not guilty of anything. Oh, what I mean is Tom has been on your mind now for ten years. You testified against him... He threatened you gradually. You see him everywhere. No, no, only this once. Only these, these last few nights. All right. But now you know the truth. That should clear your fears forever. Tom's dead and buried. Now go back and take a look at that nightman again. Now that you know Tom's dead, I'll lay odds. The whole resemblance will vanish. Well, I hope so. My advice to you, Miss Rhodes, would be to go straight home. Use that elevator as much as possible. Get acquainted with this Foley fellow. For your own sake, try to get the better of these hallucinations. Otherwise, you'll start seeing poor Tom everywhere you turn. Well, I'll try, Warden Graves. Well, thank you. You've been very kind. Not at all. Good evening, Charles. Evening, Mum. I have some bags here, Charles. Will you help me with them, please? Okay. That all, Mum? Yes, thank you. Uh, this is for you, Charles. No, thanks, ma'am. I uh, never take tips. It's all right. I, I'd like you to have it. I'm sure the superintendent wouldn't mind. The superintendent hasn't anything to do with it. <laughs> well, aren't we going to start? Yeah, in a minute. Been out of town? Why, why, yes, I have. You've gone quite a while. I didn't see you for three or four nights. I was in the country, visiting a friend. Oh. Why, it's beautiful weather out there. The leaves are beautiful. I wouldn't know. You live in the city, Charles? Of course. Oh, isn't it hard to bring up children in the city? Children? Yes. Uh, didn't I understand Gallagher to say you had two children? Me? What chance I have to have any children? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a bachelor. By the way, my name is not Charles. Well, guess this must be my floor. No, it's not. Then, why are we stopping? The elevator's stuck. Power's been cut off. Cut off? Mm-hmm. Oh, but how could that happen? It's never happened before, as long as I've lived here. Yeah. Well, sooner or later, I guess it had to happen. Isn't there some way we can get it back on? Some buzzer for the cellar or something? If the power's off, the buzzer isn't working. It's a wonder the lights are still on. The, the lights? Yeah. They'll go out in a few minutes, though. Then it'll be black in here. Black as a grave. <gasps> let's, let's get out of here. Open the door. Can't. She won't budge. But you haven't even tried. I don't have to try. We're stuck between floors. The door's flush with the solid wall. Solid wall? Yeah. We're kind of bricked up in a cell. 
But there must be some way out of here. Some Isn't there a little door in the roof? Something you can pry open? Something you can climb up out of into the shaft? I don't see any. Oh, but there must be. Climb up and, and feel around before the light gives out. There's nothing to get hold of. It's nothing but steel and mirrors. And I'm not tall enough. Stand on my bags. That's a good idea. They'll never hold me. Oh, it's all right. Just hurry. Here. The Gladstone's strongest. No, never make it. Oh, but, oh, but stand on your tiptoes. Stretch. No. Let me try. Oh, dear. No, I can't. I didn't think so. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Wait. Wait? Wait until somebody comes along downstairs and finds the elevator stuck and then rings up the superintendent. Oh, but that might be ours. Sure. No! Help! Help! Somebody help! Help! You're wasting your time. Everybody's left the building, I know, because they've all signed out. This air shaft's thick, isolated. Nobody's down in the basement, and there won't be any passengers ringing for an elevator this time of night. You seem awfully sure about all that. Why not? Cigarette? No, thanks. Do you think it's safe to smoke in here? Sure. And supposing it isn't, what's the difference? Yeah, have one. It'll soothe your nerves. No, thanks. The air's so close. Jumpy, ain't you? No, I suppose really there's nothing to be afraid of. Sooner or later, they'll come. Oh, sure. Eventually. It's just that this waiting and all these mirrors and being stuck... You're not jumpy on account of me? You? Oh, no, no, of, of course not. But you were kind of... Jumpy with me the other night, weren't you? The other night? When I came into your apartment unexpectedly. Oh, that, that was a mistake. A mistake? Yes, I, I just thought you were someone else, a, a friend of mine, someone I've always been afraid of. Oh. But now I've learned it couldn't be you because this friend's dead, dead and buried. Dead and buried? Yes. What was his name? Maybe I know him. What was that? Only the lights. I knew they'd give out sooner or later. Oh, no. No, they can't. They... I can't stay here alone in the dark with you. So you are jumpy with me. No, no. I thought you said this guy was dead and buried. He is, he is. I saw his grave. Then why are you screaming like that? I'm not screaming. Only it, it, it's so dark in here. So close and, and creepy. What did you do to this friend that makes you so jumpy? Do? Do to him? Nothing. I didn't do a thing. No. It, it was he. He threatened me. He was a murderer. He killed my mother in cold blood ten years ago. He was our boarder for ten years. And one afternoon... Don't move! Don't move! I'm not moving. Go on. One afternoon, I, I came home, and, and there was mother lying on the floor with her, her throat. No, no, where are you? I can't... Go on. No, no, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Tom! It's you, Tom, isn't it? I thought you said your friend was dead and buried. Stop playing with me. Stop torturing me. Tell me the truth. You escaped, didn't you? You didn't die, and it was someone else, someone else's grave, just as I thought. You escaped and found me here. Answer me, Tom. Where are you? I can't see you. I can't. Ah! Oh, no. No, stop. I didn't mean it. I didn't. I didn't mean to send you there. It was only because I loved you, Tom. Loved you so blindly, passionately for years, and hated Mama, and hated you for loving her. 
It was only to get revenge on you both that I killed her and framed you. Mama was so cruel to me, Tom. She treated me like a slave and all the time flaunting you in my face. Oh, if you'd spoken one kind word to me, Tom, at the trial, one word to let me know you loved me. You're going to kill me, aren't you, Tom? the lobby, Mom. You can get out here or I'll take you back up to the penthouse as soon as we've picked up the other passenger. What? On the, the lobby? You brought me down to the lobby? Yes, Mom. Then you're not Tom? No, Mom. You're, you're not going to... You're not going to kill me? I, I'm free? Yes, Mom. Then it was all just a crazy illusion. <laughs> a nightmare because the power went off and, and you look so much like Tom Nixon. <laughs> oh, forgive me. Please forgive me for being so absurd. It's okay. <laughs> and you'll forget about those silly things I said, won't you? I didn't mean them. It, it was just because I, I was beside myself. What silly things, Mom? Those silly things about, about my mother and, and Tom. And, well, now, this is for you. No, no, I, I insist this time. I insist. I'm sorry, Mom. But I'm afraid I never accept tips. Oh, but you, you must. Particularly from people who framed my twin brother. Good evening, Warden Graves. Good evening, Lieutenant Nixon. Well done. <laughs> And so closes The Nightman, starring Virginia Bruce and Richard Walk. Tonight's study in Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. To every woman listening tonight, I want to say a special word about making every dinner or supper you serve taste better. I want to urge you to start serving Roma wine with your meals. It's simple. The cost is very, very little, and it works magic in making food more enjoyable. You can serve Roma wine with any meal or any time in any kind of glass you wish. Serve it chilled. Try different kinds of Roma wine until you find those you enjoy most of all. Try hearty red Roma California Burgundy or the delicately delicious Roma California Sauterne. The cost is only pennies a glass, but you'll find even a pickup supper tastes like a banquet. Get Roma wines today. If your dealer is temporarily out of them, please try again soon. Just ask for R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, America's largest selling wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world.
Richard Worf appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Mrs. Parkington. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Mr. Van Johnson and Mr. Keenan Wynn as stars of Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Remember this, the war is not over. For every reason, patriotic and personal, continue to buy and keep war bonds. Put as much of your money as possible where it will serve as a reserve to be used in the future. War bond dollars now can mean the realization of your long-range peacetime objectives. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Nightman from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And also joining us is Kelly, who is our second in a four-part series featuring special guest appearances of our mysterious patrons. Thank you so much for being with us, Kelly. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and our listeners can't uh, see this, of course, but also joining us is Kelly's cat. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry for any background no. she makes. She loves to be on Zoom calls. Uh, just so you know, Joshua owns 47 cats. <laughs> Six, right? Yeah. So if you need a ringer. Uh... <laughs> I live in a one-bedroom apartment with my boyfriend, and between the two of us, we have four. So I, I'm right in there with you, Joshua. <laughs> so, so before we delve into tearing this thing up or down or sideways, oh, uh, let's start with <laughs> Kelly. And Kelly, you get asked to be on the show with us, and thank you again for being a supporter. And and you say, oh, good. I, or maybe you didn't say, oh, good. I don't know. <laughs> but you see, you're, you're going to be with us. And then you say, this is the episode I want to do. Why'd you pick this one? So I came, I think, compared to a lot of your listeners, I came to old time radio rather late in life. So I don't have like stories of listening to suspense under the covers as a kid or whatever people's formative radio experiences were. <laughs> My current boyfriend thought that a good date when we first started dating was going to be sitting on the couch listening to old time radio. And I thought he was pretty cute. So I let it slide. Uh, so, <laughs> Wow. You are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out it's pretty awesome. But one of the complaints I had about a lot, especially with suspense that we were listening to, there are a lot of very hysterical women on the show. And okay, fine, I'm willing to give some of it a pass for the time period it was in, but I was really interested in looking for old time radio that had women that weren't hysterical 
or as I found when I discovered Lucille Fletcher, were hysterical for pretty good reasons. Right. So I, there's, okay, I got to calm down because there's a lot that I could talk about with this <laughs> script and how much I like it and why I like it. But generally I was looking for non-hysterical women or women who are hysterical for a reason. And that, <laughs> Good. that is a common thing. Uh, my wife says that a lot. Yeah, but she shrieks it and then faints every time she says it. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of negates it. <laughs> there are some that we've done. Where she's like, oh, here we go with the hysterical, please save me woman trope again. But then there's a lot out there and I'm sure you're discovering this that aren't and of the time. And it's really uh, refreshing to hear that. I would agree with you that, yeah, if there's a reason for you to be terrified and not in control, then it makes sense. And of course, being written by a woman helps a lot. Yeah. yeah Lucille, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just totally jumped. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> you wait guest. I'm a host here. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the Lucille Fletcher things is creating suspense and tension by that idea of being dismissed for being a hysterical woman. Yes, yes, I really love it. And I mean, the other thing that sort of drew me into this is I am a huge Twilight Zone fan. And The Hitchhiker, which I later learned started out as a radio play, is probably my favorite episode of The Twilight Zone. So I knew her from that because that was a very formative thing for me so that was another reason when i found out she was writing for radio i was just like yep okay runaway favorite this is the one i want to talk about joshua or tim had you listened to this before kelly brought it for us no this is actually the only suspense lucille fletcher i had never heard before so it was a great pick it was very exciting to get to sit down with one that i'd never heard before yeah, it was a great pick. I had never heard it myself either. And, you know, jumping the gun here to where we're going. Uh, thank you, Kelly. That was a riveting and beautifully performed piece of audio radio drama. I loved a lot of that. Yeah, there's some kind of twins trope going on. But I did not guess that she's the one that actually murdered her, uh, what was it, her mother? Mm-hmm. Her mother. Yeah. yeah, I didn't see that coming. I think one of the things that I like most about this episode is that even thinking, because I also thought, Eric, that it was some kind of a twin trope or the guy didn't actually die and, you know, snuck out of prison or whatever the trope was going to be. But being a woman and having been in a situation where you're worried about somebody being able to get into your house is... Man, it's still it was still scary even listening to, mm-hmm. to it as a radio play, listening to it for the third or fourth time this afternoon before we recorded. That was still terrifying to me. And I think that that's one of the things that makes it a great episode. I'm also on board with this was just phenomenal beginning to end. The just the very setup was so good of mm-hmm. I'm visiting a jail to explain to you that someone that you're supposed to have there is loose and I'm seeing them and the ambiguity and the mystery that it's uh, inherent in that, just like, I'm totally in for whatever this is. I don't even know. As I was listening to it, trying to muster out, uh, I don't know how many amongst this crowd or of our audience has seen Sherlock. BBC? The BBC. Yes. It's never twins. But it, but it could be a twin, but it's never twins. <laughs> and so I was vaguely resentful now of Sherlock for, I had it. I had it and I gave it up. <laughs> when I first heard this, I did... Love it, except for that 
remark about it, the twin at the end. And my first listen through, it just annoyed me. It felt like a twist unneeded because everything else about the story has such complicated psychology. Right. I didn't even think about why he looked like this guy from her past. I just assumed, uh, because it's layered so well, that yes, her guilt uh, made this right. guy who looked a little like him seem like him. And so the twin sting bugged me a little, but I also think it's the contemporary view of twins. Because right now, after this aired, twins became a cliche. Soap operas used them constantly when I was growing up. Like every soap <laughs> opera my mother watched, I would you know walk through the living room and be like, evil twin? Yes. And she just riveted to the television. And so I think that's a perspective from our 21st century viewpoint. But everything else, I just loved up and down. And it's definitely one of those stories that has you in suspense on that first listen to, but the second listen reveals all sorts of deeper structural and thematic ideas going on underneath. So it definitely rewards multiple listens. Right. Like Sorry, Wrong Number, this is another Lucille Fletcher play where the suspense hinges on a technology that once required a manual operator, <laughs> but <Right>. now <laughs> does not. <laughs> is that significant? No. Uh, but it gave me nerdy <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> and sent me down a rabbit hole of learning about early elevators. My little bit of research told me that they were complicated to operate at first. The operator actually had to control the speed and start to slow it down in time so that when it stopped, it lined up with the floor. So when the door opened, you weren't halfway between floors. And it was right. really difficult to operate until they got uh, the electronically controlled ones in the 60s. Which um, led to a lot of tropey comedy back in the day of those elevators not quite matching up to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's another, I don't know if it's a suspense episode, but I distinctly remember listening to another episode where someone, a painter or something, is caught in an elevator and he overhears a murder. What was that, you guys? We did that on the oh, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't remember all 200 plus episodes? No. Just... no. When this podcast comes out, you'll hear Josh go, he'll just dub in over this. <laughs> oh, okay, great. In a robot <laughs> voice. In a robot voice. <laughs> the episode in question was titled Pigeon in the Cage from Suspense featured in episode 128 of this podcast. So the first thing I want to say about this and what just hooked me in a way I can't remember another story doing is the music and Foley at the top. It is that swelling music with the incessant buzzing leading into the fast-moving, high-heeled footsteps. It's very unnerving. Um, it feels almost like an overture in a musical setting, the tone, um, and there is this discord between the music and the sound. It sort of mirrors her stress and anxiety when she enters into the warden's office. And it's also interesting because it is one of those radio scenes where you appreciate the sound and it has an effect on you, but you don't know what it means until the scene starts. And then retroactively, you recognize the buzzer as the prison gates opening and closing behind her as she comes in. Those two sounds become this really significant through line. High-heeled footsteps that are used over and over and over again and various forms of buzzers. The elevator buzzer, the buzzer at her door, the prison buzzers. And, you know, I don't think I'm going too far out 
on a over-analytical limb here to say that they are used to such a degree that it starts to become really thematically significant. Like the footsteps are her attempting over and over again to escape and the buzzing of all the kind becomes this sort of accusation and this justice that is following her. Or she didn't get her answer in on time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of going out on a limb. (laughs) The music uh, that you brought up struck me. Usually the music I just acknowledge is like, good music, not as good music. Um, But this was so cinematic. It was Mm -hmm. so sweeping and big, which I don't know if that's just, I finally paid attention. It's always like that, but this was good music. Yeah, it was particularly riveting. Yeah, it's interesting. There are two later versions of this radio play on suspense. And I accidentally listened to both of them trying to find this one. And they're not good. They're really lousy. And I was talking with aforementioned boyfriend about this. Part of it is because they keep breaking for sponsors. So they cut out some of the good stuff and it's just not as well produced. So like there's no Nightman in it. <laughs> yeah. Is it the man in black? Oh, yeah, in these early ones, yes. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Eric. I just got your joke. and it... <laughs> It's a miracle that you got it at all. I mean, honestly, <laughs> no, no, no. Sometimes, you usually just keep going. Sometimes, Kelly, I get a text at 2 in the morning from Joshua. Oh, I <laughs> uh, Speaking of the Nightman, the actor that portrayed, I thought it was brilliantly terrifying and such a subtle yet effective red herring. It was really well done how the actor decided to deliver that so that you go, oh, yeah, that's him, that's him, that's him. But then you find out later that he was trying to convince her that he was him to get her to break. But I I just thought it was really well done. Yeah, that's, again, I don't don't want to hammer too much on what it's like to be a woman and listening to this episode. But again, it's really interesting to hear because... At some point, I think it's the warden who says, well, nothing that he said sounds that unusual. Right. And okay, yeah, none of it does, but it's about the way he says it. And it's about the context of somebody saying something like a little bit creepy to you when they're standing there in your apartment and you can't get them to leave. Yeah. And it's another great radio scene when she gets off of the elevator. We hear Miss Rhodes' footsteps moving away from the elevator toward her door, presumably, and then they stop, and there's just this beat of silence. Nobody says anything, and she says, good night, you can go back down, and then just with those few words, we see this scene of her at one end of the hall standing there, and him just standing at his elevator, and it's just a great image that she puts into your head with just a few simple sound effects and three or four words. There is uh, one scene in this when the elevator breaks down and the lights go completely out and it's the two of them in the dark, I, I was thinking, like, this is so powerful and so effective and it would work in no other medium. If you were on TV or a film or something visual and it was dark for that long, it would be weird. Mm-hmm. And then if you had some sort of light for dark kind of where you can sort of see them, it wouldn't be as effective. But in radio, in pitch black in your head, it's really, really scary. Yeah, I was wondering oh, if they even had had emergency lights that would click on, and I guess the answer is no. Yeah, they're I don't know, Joshua, you went down the elevator uh, <laughs> wiki hole, so. They're called candles. <laughs> uh, but there is a great irony, well, there are many great 
ironic moments in the script. I mean, the fact that she has hidden herself away from uh, what she has done in this penthouse at the top of an office building, but this fortress she has built for herself becomes the trap. But also the fact that the truth is revealed in darkness. It's not until the lights go out in that elevator and that's when everything comes out almost immediately. And like you guys said, I was totally surprised by it. I in no way anticipated it. What I thought was that the warden had something to do with it, which he ends up having something to do with it, but not in the way I thought. He was the guy who I was really suspicious of, and I think it was really well-directed and well-performed because there was just something off about him, and I think that was a really well-done, intentional red herring. And it is difficult to surprise someone in a play with three characters. That's the other credit I want to give her. Like, <laughs> There's only so many people here who could be guilty. <laughs> but there's at least three things that are going on that are possible. And that's what's so cool about it is, is it the ghost of the guy coming back? That's possible. Is it the guy escaped somehow and switched doubles or whatever? Is it just her guilty conscience that thinks that it's this guy. There's only three people, Mm -hmm. but there's so many possibilities to what could actually be going on that that's what's riveting about it, that you don't really know how the ending's going to turn out. Yeah, by the end of that elevator ride, when she's talking and talking and getting no response, I was fairly convinced that the doors were going to open and she'd be in there alone. I totally with you, Tim. I had this moment of someone's going to come find her and she's been talking to nobody. But... (laughs) You know, when the twins thing came up, uh, there it is. Okay. But I would really love the idea that the whole thing was a setup to get her. I love the twist that she killed her mother. I did not see that coming. I'm guessing Joshua did. No, not at all. I said I was just totally taken in by this because, you know, I just believed her fear. And that's what's brilliant about this is her fear was real. It wasn't fake. She was just afraid of getting caught. But we as a listener think she's afraid of retribution and you know it's the same thing it's just such a great bit of writing to just flip it subtly and every piece of the puzzle still works but Mm -hmm. the finished picture is something completely different than what you thought it was has she written anything terrible i've yet to come across i tried to bring you something i thought this is the terrible one this is the one you're all gonna hate and you loved it Bad, (laughs) bad dreams yeah yeah i loved it you didn't like it I thought you wouldn't. I should really start listening to this podcast. <laughs> when I went back and listened to it a second time, I was even angry at being fooled because there are all sorts of clues right. littered throughout here. There's a point at which the warden says that she's just a victim of a, of a guilt complex. Right. And she gets very defensive. And to me, I'm like, how did that not just immediately tell me what's going on. But I think it is all about the way she keeps moving the pieces around. It's like a shell game. Uh, And the performances are really, really sharp and really aware of what the game of the script is. And everyone plays their part so perfectly. That guilty conscience thing jumped out at me, but I took it as someone we were talking about earlier with Lucille Fletcher scripts of putting the blame on the victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never then imagined, like, no, she actually is the guilty one. Victim blaming. Yes. She always has great dialogue exchanges. Uh, One that jumped out at me is when they're stuck in the elevator and Rhodes says, is it safe to smoke in here? And the nightman says, sure, but supposing it isn't, what's the difference? 
Lung cancer is the least you have to worry about. <laughs> it was a small touch, but the uh, the guy who was giving the uh, the bona fides for the nightman of like oh. married, got kids, came highly recommended. No one gets recommended like this guy did. It was a small, not necessarily part of the story, but it really, really threw a fog over all the truth of it. It makes me wonder if they lied to him to get that enthusiastic endorsement or if he was in on it. And I, I kind of like the fact that I don't know. Um, but my guess is he was lied to. When that ending came, I thought of that guy right away because he set us up for a, a different path. I thought, oh, another cop. I thought he was in on it. Oh, because they're Irish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So any other thoughts or anything that you're dying to get out about this episode? Just one thing. I really questioned uh, the morality of setting Ms. Rhodes up like this, mainly because I was just thinking to myself, did they know this and let that guy die in prison? Or when did right. that happen? Oh, yes. This will never hold up in court. <laughs> no. this, is a, this is a Columbo plot waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, Kelly, that's a really good point. I never thought of that. Like, yeah, I know you're innocent, but here's how we're going to get her. Yeah. <laughs> now it's going to be long and involved, and you're probably going to die before we get her done. It had like a real Scooby-Doo feel to it, and then I decided I was just being too critical and just to enjoy no, it. No, that's a, that's a good point. Here's what I filled in, um, <laughs> if this is going to help, help you guys. Because they do say that she's been moving all around, right? Like her paranoia, mm. she's lived with this for 10 years. And it struck me as this was this master plan that they've been waiting for. And this penthouse setting that they put so much emphasis on during the entire thing, this was the perfect moment for them to strike. Uh, there's also a moment where they talk about when he died, he wrote some letters to his family, but he doesn't have much. So there's also a reading of it that those letters were some important information that he gave to his twin brother that up to that point, um, maybe <laughs> tragically, his twin brother thought he had done it. His twin brother's a cop, too, right? Because right? he says lieutenant at the end. Oh, I yep. missed that one. Oh, yeah. Entirely. Which yeah, yeah. might tell you why he maybe would be upset with his brother if he was convicted yep. of murder. And, and I, I don't know. You could fill in a lot of backstory. And another thing I really like about this is how many little details she just drops and then walks away from for yep. you to fill in to whom it may concern dear diary i didn't do it <laughs> i am innocent i say innocent we should probably look into this a little deeper this man says he's innocent see uh that was the little play i just wrote called <laughs> fill in of the plot all right uh let's take her to the vote shall we everybody let's start with joshua I mean, I do think this is yet another, as boring as it may be to say, Lucille Fletcher classic. Um, yeah. I love the structure. I, I didn't get a chance to even talk about that, but this non-linear first half that utilizes flashback, this carefully layered exposition, because there's a lot of it, but she does it really deftly. And then this twist reveal that Tom Nixon died in prison uh -huh. takes us out of that first half, but then totally changes the structure in the second half. You know, you go from this whole nonlinear moving back and forth through time to a second half that is just confined to the present moment in a dark elevator. You know, by narrowing the scope of the story to the singular narrative pressure point 
that confession feels just very believable, cathartic, and even though I didn't see it coming, suddenly feels inevitable. Um, so it's just fantastic. And as I said, the, the sound effects, the music, the performances, classic. It's a good thing you didn't get a chance to talk about any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Way to get it in. Tim, you can go next. Yeah, it's a classic. Um, for all those good things that we said, Lucille Fletcher uh, is just master of lean script writing. No detail is wasted, and yet it's incredibly full and rich. There is so much there created with such perfect little pinpoints. Uh, I'll go next. Um, It's super good. Classic. Kelly, what do you think? (laughs) I know not everybody has been able to see my hand gestures, or, you know, listeners won't, but yes, it's a classic in my opinion. Yeah, I, I can't add anything Tim and Joshua just said. It was really fun. That was a really fun ride. And thank you, Kelly, Yay! For, Yay! Bringing, for bringing something awesome. Joshua's always bringing stuff I hate. <laughs> I mean, it's not lost on me that uh, my boyfriend's favorite radio drama is Quiet, Please. And it's the one I like the least. Sorry, David, I love you, but um, <laughs> yeah. Can we give your boyfriend a plug for his podcast, or do you want to? Oh yeah, I I mean yeah. I didn't want to do it because it seemed rude, but absolutely no. yeah, plug oh, no, his podcast. I, I love the way earlier that you called him your current boyfriend. I really admire <laughs> that. Uh, you know, keep the man on his toes. I love it. <laughs> I just I don't like him to get too complacent. You know, you're part of a long line, David. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, David has a podcast called Quietly Yours. It's about quiet, please. He goes through episode by episode with his friend Matt, and they talk about the episodes and what works. I was going to say what doesn't, but for them, <laughs> nothing doesn't work. But they talk about quiet, please, and uh, ha- where it exists in time. And it's a quite nerdy thing. Uh, you can find them on Spotify iTunes, wherever you get podcasts. And also they have a Facebook page called Quietly Yours. So wait, they just play a radio episode and then talk about it? That sounds boring. I know. Right? <laughs> so boring. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to believe in my heart that all their discussion is whispered. <laughs> uh, Kelly, uh, when you're done with this current boyfriend, maybe you and I should take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> we have the uh, same uh, careful assessment of quiet, please. <laughs> so, I mean, I like radio dramas where somebody is either cracking bits. Uh, Armis Reynolds is a, a different thing. Um, but Armis Brooks. Brooks, thank you. Yeah. One of those is a Firefly episode. The other one is a radio <laughs> drama starring Eve Arden, which I adore. <laughs> so I like that or I like ones where somebody gets punched, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> so. You love Candy Matson. Maybe. Ah, you should <laughs> like listen. I told to... you, newbie. <laughs> okay, you well, listen. That's, to... yeah. that's this week's episode. So listen to it. Okay. Yeah, you'll love Candy Matson. Trust me. Oh, is she a lady detective? Yeah. yeah. And there's only a few existing episodes. Yeah. Lots okay, of. Okay. Yes, I have heard it. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's wisecracks and punching. It's Man. sometimes shooting. So it's it's everything you want. You yeah. could you could go as far as say it's just wisecracks punching and shooting. Like that's the entire <laughs> There's nothing else that happens. <laughs> I've never uh, been one for subtlety. <laughs> All right, Tim, tell them stuff. 
please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. Many other episodes there, uh, including Pigeon in the Cage and Katie Matson. Um, you can check out other things we reference in this show. Uh, you will also find links to our social media pages. You can contact us. You can leave comments on episodes, vote in polls, send us messages, let us know what you want to listen to, all kinds of ways for you to have your voice heard, and we will uh, pay attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> you can also be like Kelly and go to patreon.com slash the morals. You thought I was going to say <laughs> date David. No. <laughs> you can be no, like Kelly and go taken. to patreon.com slash the morals and uh, support this podcast. Kelly, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. To all our patrons, we really appreciate it. It really uh, helps us a lot because it weirdly takes a lot of time and energy to create a podcast. So, uh, yeah, please go check it out. Uh, we have a lot of great rewards for listeners, extra podcasts, uh, Zoom happy hours, uh, lots of fun stuff. And if you'd like to see us do our theatrical performances of old-time radio, original scripts uh, that we write, and recreations of classic radio drama, you used to be able to see us on stage, but here in January 2021, we're still in COVID protocol, but our relationship and partnership with Park Square Theater in St. Paul is still ongoing as we do monthly shows online. Please come join us and see and watch us perform uh, again, classic and original work of old-time radio. You can go to parksquaretheater.org for tickets, or you can find out all information by going to ghoulishdelights.com or the mysterious old radio listening society.com. Once again, thank you so much, Kelly. You are a joy, and thank you for being here, and thanks for bringing that awesome Lucille Fletcher episode of Suspense. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for being a supporter. All right. Joshua, what's coming up next? Uh, next, we have another visit from a mysterious patron. Uh, Christian will be here for an episode of Gunsmoke called Mashuga. Until then, Get out! after several more drafts and a decade of unsuccessful studio pitches, Wells cut a deal with NBC to turn The Nightman into a steamy made-for-TV movie starring the mom from Growing Pains, Joanna Kearns. One mother, one daughter, one lover to satisfy them both. They couldn't get enough of him. Now they can't get rid of him. Nightman, someday. I'm a woman that needs a man. When we showed critics the Nightman, we had to give them a towel. I saw you last night. Why did it have to be her? It steamed up the bay. It steamed up the apple. It steamed up the loop. The steam shot a mile high. He's trying to kill me. This man has paid his debt to society. So he's re-entering society in my apartment building. The sexiest movie on network television turns up the heat in your house. The Nightman is coming to NBC tomorrow. Do your best not to think about that.